Hey there, party people. This is Queer Watching. We are two queers coming at you from opposite coasts of the United States, here to talk about all things film and television with a queer lens. I'm Jesse, here with my best pal, Brianna, and today we're talking about our top 10 favorite queer movies of all time. <laughs> we're going to try to issue a spoiler alert for all of them. We're going to cover quite a few films. We're not going to go into great detail, but spoiler alert for all the movies on our list, I guess. We may touch on some some parts and a few little spoilers, so... We're just going to kick right into it, starting with number 10. Brianna, what is your number 10 favorite queer movie? So my number 10 queer favorite movie is Bound. It came out in 1996 and is deemed, I think, like a thriller. Um, I categorize it as action romance. Um, But the description is tough ex-con Corky and her lover Violet concoct a scheme to steal millions of stashed mob money and pin the blame on Violet's crooked boyfriend Caesar. And you might be wondering, why did this even make my top 10 list? And honestly, it has very little to do with the movie, but the fact that the person who showed it to me was the first woman I ever fell in love with. And then afterwards we had really hot sex. Um, So I get very nostalgic for that memory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also because I'm pretty sure the first like however many minutes is a really hot sex scene between Corky and Violet Um, and I was like oh we're just starting right off the bat with gay sex but I'm also a big sucker for action movies Uh, I love a good heist I love a good are they going to get away from or get away with it I remember there's this epic scene of one of the characters running down a hallway into an elevator, pressing the button. And do I think about that scene almost every time I'm in an elevator? Yes, because the doors, of course, close just in the nick of time and they get away with everything that they need to get away with. Um, Man, if I don't remember the stairs. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Okay, it was a really tall building. <laughs> I'd see, I don't remember. It was supposed to, yeah, it was a skyscraper or something like that. And apparently Christopher Maloney is in the movie. I don't remember what role he's in, but that makes it even better. Yeah, it's directed by the Wachowskis, so it's got some Uh trans directors as well. Okay, cool. Um, So yeah, just overall, I feel like a very 90s action movie with blatant gayness. Also, the tough ex-con Corky was just a funny character in that, like, just very stereotypical tough brawn um hot lesbian and so it was great i haven't seen it since only watched it once (laughs) just the once i've seen it a couple times it is it is a truly amazing movie it doesn't seem quite as concerned with the male gaze as a lot of other films especially ones that deal with so much like masculinity right it's kind of about the crime world and how the men run it but it's not quite as it's more concerned with our queer characters than it is the men which is always preferred so i agree this is a fantastic movie great i'm glad you remember it more than i do yes i actually have it on dvd on my shelf so i revisit it occasionally yeah it's a good one it's a good one all right well uh my number 10 is paris is burning this is a 1990 documentary directed by Jenny Livingston, streaming on HBO, in case anybody wants to check it out. And this is pretty much a small look into the ballroom scene that was going on uh, at that time, like late 80s, Um, and had been going on for a while, um, not just then, previously as well. And I just personally love ballroom. I, I think ballroom is this really amazing, like, gender performance in a lot of ways that doesn't have to adhere to any rules. They have all kinds of categories, you know, 
I'm not really in the ballroom scene, nor is there a huge one in the Pacific Northwest, but being able to to just get a look into that, especially as I was learning queer history in college and stuff was was really amazing and compelling and and helped me fall in love with ballroom as well as, as, well as queer culture. So I, I love Paris is Burning and I, I usually recommend it to anyone who's trying to, to learn queer history. Like I, I would start there and, you know, there's some stuff that the movie does that is a little exploitative of the people in it probably um well almost assuredly you know none of them are really paid for being in it so it's not necessarily a problem free movie but it is a very interesting historical look and also get you familiar with different ballroom houses that are still around like house of extravaganza la, la beja's willie ninja people like that so uh yeah it's my number 10 have you seen the most recent documentary that came out um called kiki it came out in 2016 and it was it's another look or documentary look at the ball scene as it is current. I mean, I know that's now like six years ago, but like currently, and it addresses the exploitation of Paris is burning. Um, I, I highly recommend it. A I have not of, seen that. So I'm adding it to my list right now. Yeah. The description is a group of LGBTQ youths of color unite to take a form of safe to form a safe gathering space. It's great. Nice. I'll definitely check that out. There's also, and this is not a direct comparison at all, it's very different, but there's also an HBO show that is, in theory, competitive ballroom. It's called Legendary. I love that show. Mm. It's not necessarily in its essence everything that ballroom is, right? It's very commercialized, but it's also pretty pretty fun. Moving along, what's your number nine? Um, I just did want to say how similar our uh, number 10 movies were. So I'm I'm glad that we share such similar love of the same kind of movies, you know, Bound and then Paris is Burning. Um, You're joking, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) We have hot lesbians having sex to exploit their violent exes versus drag community in the 70s. Very different. Yes. Ballroom. Sorry. Very different very different films yeah. um, but I do think that begins to speak to our differences in the films that we enjoy but I don't absolutely guess. number nine for me is Birdcage um, which came out in 1996 a lot of the movies that I like are from earlier times uh, and that I feel like speaks to a lack of access to queer films and queer movies or queer content and then the streaming services came out and eventually we got more. But yes, have quite a few 90s, early 2000s movies. Same. But Birdcage uh, is a gay cabaret owner and his drag queen companion agree to put up a false straight front so that their son can introduce them to his fiance's right wing moralistic parents. I really love this movie. I think I've seen it like once or twice, um, but it's got great comedy greats in it. It has Robin Williams. Nathan Lane, and then, oh my God, I completely just blanked on his name. Gene Hackman. Thank you, thank you. But yes, I think it's I think it's very funny. Nathan Lane, of course, is like the hysteric, over the top archetype of drag queens, which we can talk about, like the problematicness of that. But in the '90s, I thought it was very funny. I didn't see it in the '90s, but like if you put it in the context of the time it was made. I thought it was very funny. Don't necessarily know if this movie could get made today, uh, nor do I know if I'd want to see a remake of it because you can't top 
Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. Uh, Agree. It was it was just a, a phenomenal pairing. Yes, this is actually my number eight. So right there with you. I also have a lot of 90s and earlier 2000s movies. I think just because there were less, so we held on to them so tightly because it's all we had kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree. Birdcage would never fly today, but especially if we look at it from when it was made, I think it's amazing. I also have a huge soft spot for not only Robin Williams, but also Nathan Lane. So it's just going to, I know, also Nathan Lane. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's early in my time still. I'm, coffee's just mm-hmm. kicking in. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, but yeah, was there any specific reason you chose this movie as number eight? I think it wasn't higher because of some of the things that you already pointed out about how it ages, but it's still going to make the cut because it to this day makes me like cry with laughter. Nathan Lane's performance in this movie is just like perfect to me. I also think the like, we're trying to get the stiff white guy to change his mind. Again, relatable. We all know that guy. I feel like we all came out to that guy, and hopefully that guy didn't do us dirty, you know? So just very relatable themes going on there. It reminds me a little bit of Cam in Modern Family, uh, just because I very much could imagine him pretending to be a woman in order to, like, like I can just see this entire thing playing out in that show. And so, yeah, we still do love an over-the-top gay man. Yep. It's also streaming on Showtime if anyone has Showtime and wants to check oh, it out. Look at you. Yep. Uh, so you said that was number eight. Do you want to circle yep. back to your number nine? Yes. So my number nine is actually a pretty recent movie. It's a 2020 film called Uncle Frank. That's uh, Amazon Prime and only was released on Amazon Prime, so it didn't have like theatrical or anything. So kind of a smaller movie in like its release scope but also in its content it's kind of just a quieter movie it's about a younger girl i think it's teenager and her uncle frank who is gay but not really out to the family and they have to road trip home for the dad slash grandpa's funeral um and so spoiler alert yeah i mean it yeah, that's in the trailer I you, that's all yeah, I it's, so it's kind of a road trip movie it's just yeah it's very compelling and emotional and quiet and it's just kind of about the teenager figuring out that her uncle's queer and then them kind of talking about it as he feels comfortable and is ready and then you know once they get to the family then it's next level of some of that too so the climax is just very emotional i just watched it weeped and loved it so that's it's my number nine there i remember you talking about that when it came out and it's one of those that like i have wanted to see but as you'll learn from my list, I just tend to lean more towards comedy because I'm always in the mood to laugh. And so I have to remind myself that I also do like dramas. So it is still on my list to see. Yeah. And Paul Bettany's performance as Uncle Frank is just amazing. I would have, because of how it was released, I believe it was Emmy not Emmy qualifying, not Oscar qualifying because it never was in theater. So I believe he got a nomination for actor in like a limited series kind of thing or, or TV movie rather didn't win, but I would have loved to see it. His performance in this is just amazing. It's, I think it's the best acting from Paul Bettany I've ever seen. So you want to hit us with your number eight since we've already covered mine as the birdcage. I do. Um, I'm also just Googling some of these actors because you know, I 
don't know a lot of them. Uh, for bigger um, context, Paul Bettany is Vision in the Marvel Universe, if that helps at all. Ah, it does, because okay. I, I know him then from A Knight's Tale, which is a movie I mm-hmm. also talk about nonstop. I do think it's interesting, though, that like our first three movies that we've talked about, all of them have actors in it that play gay people that are not gay. Yep. Um, and like the roles in which we will find that personally acceptable and the roles in which we will take the stand of like, they've got to stop doing this. Yeah, I actually have that noted on mine as well. There are exceptions, right? Nathan Lane is queer. Is gay. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the cast of Paris is burning. Very queer. So there Very are queer. some exceptions. But yeah, you're right. I also grappled with that a little bit, especially how we feel today right i'm very bothered when they just throw a bunch of straight people into the queer roles like looking at you power of the dog so i would i'm with you on that one is that a movie (laughs) yeah that it was the most nominated oscar movie last year benedict cumberbatch plays the lead and and i will say we don't always know everybody's sexuality right it's entirely possible that they're queer behind closed doors and it's none of our business and they don't want that out to the public but at the same time I don't see a problem in choosing actors that are just as capable and are out to the public to get more of that authenticity. Yes, we 100% do not support the forcing of people to come out in order to qualm or squash the uh, queer baiting the- uh, rumors yes, looking absolutely. at the people who just outed yep. that human being. Um, yes. But yes, I was curious because you were talking about it being for older movies, but Uncle Frank is a newer movie and Paul Bittany is not queer yep. to our knowledge so was that something you grappled with when yes. you see it i don't think i knew what i was in for when i originally watched it and so mm. i kind of just took it blank slate but that would would be my one critique however i was also so moved by paul metney's performance that it's like a a i am also hesitant to say that you know mm-hmm. so that makes sense So then my number eight is Saving Face came out in 2004 and it's, I classified it as classified it as a romance because there weren't many moments where I was like, ha ha, this is so funny. So I guess it could also get drama. Anywho, a gay Chinese American and her traditionalist mother are reluctant to go public with secrets that clash against cultural expectations. Now I actually didn't see this in 2004. I, recently saw it I feel like this year like a couple months ago I was talking to you about it and I'm sad that I waited so long to see it because of many reasons it came out in 2004 and from my experience gay movies that came out around that time had horrendous acting and were just like super cheesy and just bad and that was not the case for this movie I thought that the people I clearly you disagree, but to the standards of some other movies sure. that were gay that came out in that time, sure. like to me, it was no worse than Imagine Me and You, um, which I feel like is another movie that came out around that time. But I like this one because it was, I think, the first and only even to really this day movie that highlighted gayness in Chinese American families. And while that was one issue that the movie confronted, they also confronted the, like, issue of disappointing your family and letting down your family and your family and you as a person who 
as part of that family, your obligation to support them, which was also something that I related to um, as a Latina is like, it's more of a family mentality rather than like an individualistic mentality. And so it coming up against that, like Americanization of like, do I choose myself over my family or do I sacrifice what I want for the betterment of my family? And I feel like it does a really good job of showcasing that struggle and then also showing a resolution that I was not expecting. Uh, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it is a solid movie and I want to see more. I, I want to get to a point where I'm not surprised by protagonists not being white. And so I was really happy to see that this movie was a thing in 2004. Yeah, I like this movie. It is pretty cute and it, it is unique in, in the ways that you described. The director is Alice Wu, who also did the half of it, another queer film, as well as wrote the animated film that we watched a couple of years ago called Over the Moon, if you remember. Yeah, so she's the writer on that, which is the same theme, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I love that movie. That movie mm-hmm. was a lot to watch. That's fair. Yeah. Yes. That's fair. I liked it quite a bit, too. But yeah, and I also really appreciated that it was bilingual. Like they didn't shy away mm-hmm. from using Chinese mm-hmm. um, because I feel like sometimes that to me is a decision that could sacrifice people, Americans, from wanting to see the movie, especially because there's prejudice within the type of accents that we want to hear, the type of languages that we want to hear. And so I was like, yes, fuck yes. They chose to include Chinese. They chose to include, I believe it's Mandarin. And really just kind of like highlight that culture while also highlighting queerness. I'm yep. moving myself from my soapbox. Jesse. No, no, <laughs> no. Honestly, that is why this movie is special. So I think I totally agree with you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the acting in this movie is amazing, but I think what it's trying to convey is conveyed and is, is very, especially as a queer person at that time was amazing to watch, right? Another one of those examples at the time where you see it and you hold on tight to it because it's one of the very, very few and one of the very few that's not just full of white people. So Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I feel like the the bar to which I compared the acting to, like I was saying, is the bar of which a lot of queer films were giving at that time. Yeah. We've gotten better as actors. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly a lot of a symptom of dealing with what you got, right? It's probably hard to get queer movies financed in the early 2000s. There are not a whole bunch of people that want to throw their money at that because they don't think it's going to make money because of the societal stigmas and, and implications. So, yeah, I understand exactly how these things happen, but I am glad that we are turning a bit and spending more money on queer stories because I I do love to see it with a higher budget and yeah, just more resources, nothing against any of the cast. That's not at all what I'm saying, but yeah, I'm glad we've turned that corner a bit. Same. Okay. So what was your number eight? Eight was birdcage. So I'll move up to seven because we already covered the birdcage. Ah, okay. Yep. 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 So my number seven is actually another documentary. I've got two of them on my list, and it's Disclosure. So this one's on Netflix, came out in 2020, directed by Sam Fetter, who hasn't made a lot of other things. He did a Kate Bornstein doc at one point, but mostly just Disclosure, and it seems in a pretty tight partnership with Laverne Cox. She's definitely the the face of it, if you will. And this documentary kind of just explores trans people and the media, and 
how we've been portrayed in the media, uh, how that's changed over time, and honestly, the the bigger scope ramifications of portraying us in these different ways. As a trans person, the first trans people I saw on television were actually on, tr- well, no, I'm going to use the word, trashier television shows like Maury and Jerry Springer and things like that, where we were there as a butt of a joke. Now, a lot of trans people are still very aware and we're there to push back on being the butt of that joke and explain, hey, we're human beings and like, we are not these freaks and monsters that you think we are. Um and, and kind of what that did to society, right? If you pin us as the freak, is that going to have everybody have an easier time getting behind that, right, and, and othering us? So that's not the only thing it explores. It kind of goes to present day and kind of different trans movies and similar to queer films, how they were all tragedies at first that were like, oh, if you do this, your life will end kind of thing. But yeah, it's an interesting examination of mostly American uh, media film and television um and and how that's been for trans people so it's honestly if there were ever like a piece of material that i was like ooh, i should have made that it was kind of this because i feel like i spent years writing papers and watching this stuff and trying to articulate how we got here and why it's a problem yeah um and laverne cox was an executive producer of disclosure yeah. so that's cool. why she's paired with it so much but i agree Hands down, I I loved this documentary. I thought it was phenomenal. Uh, and I thought it had not only a really good, like, critical lens of portrayals, but also didn't leave you feeling despondent and hopeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt, like, hopeful in that it did show the growth arc yep. of, like, where media is now and where it was and, like, where it still has to go. So definitely a great, phenomenal documentary. If you haven't seen it, uh, go and watch it. Yeah, and there's some really, really great interviews in it. Uh, Susan Stryker does a couple. She's like a essentially a trans history expert, one of my personal idols. So she's got a couple interviews in there. And then the uh, Lily Wachowski, sorry, I couldn't remember which one was in there. My only critique of it is I would have loved to hear from a couple more trans men. It's predominantly trans Mm -hmm. women giving a lot of the interviews. And honestly, that kind of correlates to the trans people you typically see on on television and in the media as well. It does typically lean towards trans women. Um, So that would be my only thing. But that's obviously just some personal bias, right? Trying Trying to see myself a little more. I get that. What is your number seven? My number seven is Gun Hill Road. Uh, It came out in 2011, and I was very excited when I saw the trailer for it. It is a drama, and oof, does it hit you in all the feels. It also came out the same year, I believe, as the movie Pariah, which is another phenomenal movie and probably should have been in this list. But again, I've only seen it like once, um, and I had to choose. So, Gun Hill Road, what's the description? An ex-con returns home to the Bronx after three years in prison to discover his estranged wife and his child exploring a gender transformation that will test the fragile bonds of their family. I just love this movie. And if I had known, Jesse, that you hadn't seen it. Yeah, I have not seen this. this part or up until this moment, we would have watched it. Um, I do think we should watch it. It is great because I so I feel like I was really drawn to it because a 
my mom grew up in the Bronx. And so anything to do with the Bronx, I'm like, fuck yes, let's go. It's about Afro-Latinas. And while I'm not an Afro-Latina, I am a Latina. And so I felt a connection with that because I was like, yes, show us representation of queerness and transness in our community. And then it really navigates. I won't do spoilers because I want you to see it, but it does navigate the complexity of like what prison does to a family and to the relationships of that family and almost like what it means to be a machismo man and how you go about accepting or like relating to your child. And then also like just the relationship between the mom and the child. And the mom is played by Judy Reyes, who is one of my favorite actresses. She's in Scrubs um, as Carla, who is Dominican. I love it. There's a whole, anyways, I'm digressing. Um, So yeah, I think it's really, really good. And it is heart-wrenching and there's some really difficult scenes to watch, but it's one of those movies where like, even the difficult scenes, you know, are coming from a place of love and just someone not knowing how to express their love. Like some of the movies we've talked about in the past and seen in the past where like the intention was to protect and to love, but the action was horrible and caused pain. Um, Really do recommend it. It is phenomenal. And it actually got the, the main actress that plays Michael. So the, the, the child um, recognition and award, and it was her first film. um, And she was living in uh i believe a like a queer homeless housing or like transitional housing in new york city when this film was made uh, so very very good film uh only not higher in my list because i'm a sucker for comedy and there's only so many times that i can rewatch dramas my little heart i get that i love a drama i love a good cry but i feel you mm-hmm. Uh, and so now we're on to number six we're almost halfway there okay all right we're gonna have to make a no singing rule for you (laughs) all right so (laughs) my number six is the favorite this is a 2018 period piece about a queen i honestly don't even remember which queen i'm sorry my british monarchy history is atrocious but it stars emma stone olivia coleman rachel vice and nicholas holt so a cast for the ages directed by yorgos lanthimos who is like a kind of more of like an auteur director i think he made like the lobster killing of the sacred deer dog tooth and this is my favorite for a couple reasons I think the performances, again, are amazing by all three of, the, of what I would say almost equal female leads. Uh, they made some choices when it came to like the Oscars about who was lead and supporting. But to me, it's like three leads, Emma Stone, Olivia Colman, and Rachel Weisz. And it's almost like a competitive love affair. And so it's it's interesting. It's intriguing. The outfits are amazing because it's a period piece. I loved this movie. I saw it in theaters as part of my like Oscar nerd see everything and then on top of that Olivia Coleman ends up winning uh actress for this movie and her Oscar speech is seriously one of the greatest cutest most genuine Oscar acceptance speeches I've ever heard she's so British and it's just like oh come over here you guys award me and it's yeah check it out on YouTube if you haven't seen it but yeah 2018 the favorite is is still one of my 
favorite go figure um yeah films so that's my number six i have never even heard of this film oh wow uh, and i'm pretty sure you then named other films when talking about this film and i didn't even know that those were film names something about killing a dog um <sighs> killing so... of the sacred deer and dog tooth two separate movies but those are yeah lantimos yes. movies okay uh but i feel like it would definitely be one that my wife would be interested in because she loves a good period piece. Like I'll come down and she's just watching those sagas where like each episode is 15 hours long. Um, <laughs> but this one was about Queen Anne. Uh, yeah. It says early 18th century England, the status quo at the court is upset when a new servant arrives and endears herself to a frail Queen Anne. Not my cup of tea, but I'm sure I'd enjoy it. You I know, do love Ever After, so. Okay, okay, let's, those are not comparable. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I hear you on not being a period piece person. My brother is the same way. The second I say period piece, he's like, cool, I'm out. But there's something very modern about kind of how it all goes down. And honestly, even in the language and the dialogue a lot. So while it's a period piece, it doesn't have the stuffiness of a period piece is what I would say. So if you're going to do one, especially, you know, may as well pick a queer one with great acting. This would this would be it to me. I feel like I that statement is too strong. It's not that I don't do period pieces because I do enjoy quite a lot of them. I like, like I've said, A Knight's Tale, Ever After. I also like like the action films and stuff like that. I'm digressing. It's just not something that I'm like, you know, it sounds great to watch right now. A period piece but yeah. i can say that about a lot of movies that aren't action comedy i have to be intrigued by the trailer i'm a a glutton for trailers if it is a good trailer that's how you'll get me to see it more so than being like oh this queer period piece movie just came out i'd be like mm, that sounds interesting and then never go see it but yeah I'm, i'd be down I don't really remember the trailer for this one, but I don't think it did it justice, if I recall. I think it was, like, wittier than the trailer let 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 on. I mean, it's playing silently on my screen, and it, <laughs> there's some funny, like, looking scenes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's intrigued me enough to be like, huh, I might watch this unmuted one day. Uh, yeah, you will have to rent it. Unfortunately, it's not streaming anywhere, but yeah, definitely check so, it out. Okay, so that was your number six. Mm-hmm. So my number six is But I'm a Cheerleader. And this is my number five. (laughs) Yes, we'll dovetail nicely. Yeah. Uh, So I chose But I'm a Cheerleader because I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like if you came out as queer in some way before 2015, that even feels late. I'm going to say before 2013 that's when I graduated college you have seen this movie and this movie holds a special place in your heart it is not the best movie in regards of like acting and stuff like that but it's not even really about the acting how dare you how dare I (laughs) um it's just it's this movie makes my list for nostalgia fair and also because Rufio is in it I don't know the actor's name that plays Rufio, but he plays also um, in the last uh, Avatar, the last airbender. He plays the fire King or the fire Prince. I know him from hook and that's a Robin Mm. Williams film. And I was obsessed with Rufio. 
as a child. So that is the part that I remember the most in this movie, even though he has a very B like cast part. But I think it's great because it, I think this movie is great because it mocks conversion camps, which were, I don't know how popular they are now, but were a popular thing when this movie came out in the 90s. It was like 1999, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And like the the mindset that like conversion therapy and like that you could pray away the gay and all that stuff was really believed. And I loved now, especially looking back that like it mocks that and it's great. It's it ages well. It's phenomenal. Uh, Natasha Leone. I never don't think about this movie when I see her. And does not matter what she plays. I'm like, oh, when you had that really bad blonde hair job, and your hair was so straight, and it was terribly <laughs> straightened because it was just blow dried, and then no product was put in it. That's what I think of. And you're washed okay. out with all the pale pink makeup. Okay, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, I love seeing a baby or a very young Natasha Leone, as well as Clea Duval, who's her love interest and is from things like Grown Interrupted. Zuko! So. Sorry. Zuko is the fire prince from Avatar The Last Airbender, who is voiced by the guy that plays Rufio, who's also in But I'm a Cheerleader. Okay, I'm done now. You can go. Oh, okay. Phew. Thank goodness <laughs> I wasn't talking. Um. <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to me, this movie is like a spoof of conversion camps, uh, complete with a nice RuPaul role that I always love. Yeah. So he plays, he plays like the assistant at the camp. He's often outside, like mowing the lawn, really sexy in short shorts, but it's like, I'm straight. And you're like, stop RuPaul. There's no world where you are straight. (laughs) Okay. He plays not in drag in this movie. Oh, yes, yes. He just okay. plays himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is always thrilling to watch. But yeah, this this movie is honestly, like, so special and iconic to me. It's such an exaggeration of everything. <laughs> and it's uh, it's heartwarming. And yeah, as a younger queer, you just feel seen. <laughs> you do. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's so great. It does what we already know, which is tell you by the way in case anyone was unsure this conversion cap shit does not work so we notice i don't know if everybody does but yeah there's also that layer of like making fun of those people that think it will work Mm -hmm. and that's just an extra layer that's just amazing yeah that's great i i don't know a single queer person who hasn't seen but i'm a cheerleader across all other identities oh i see him trailers playing on my computer and i now see rupaul um <laughs> yes it's just phenomenal yeah phenomenal it's also movie. streaming on showtime if people have showtime can also watch this i'm so sad you canceled showtime i get it but like now i can't access this movie okay once the l word season three is done airing i'll get it again so we can binge watch that but trust Perfect. me but anyway <laughs> okay let me know okay so we covered my number five what's your number five? Oh, okay back at me again my number five is Imagine Me and You. It's classified as a, as a rom-com, I think. A newlywed bride becomes infatuated with another woman who questions her sexual orientation, promoting a stir among the bride's family and friends. Quick little bisexual plug. The one thing I have a problem with in a lot of these movies, I can maybe even say all of these movies that don't strictly say I am gay, 
is that as soon as somebody of the same sex falls in love with someone of the other, like of the same sex, did that make sense? Anyways, we automatically write them as gay. Yes, yeah, too and black and white. Exactly. And I'm like, in Imagine Me and You, Piper gets married to a man who she does love, but then happens to fall for the florist. And so, of course, you're rooting for the florist, but her husband is so sweet. So, like, she could be bisexual because she has at one point loved a man. And I don't think that you can necessarily say that, like, oh, that love was all fake and she was faking it and she was being dishonest because I never got that vibe. I got the vibe that, like, she also happened to fall in love with a woman. And rather than be like, hey, can we explore how to keep this relationship alive while also having this relationship? They took the very monogamous approach and were like, okay, now we need to end our relationship because I'm in love with this other woman. I'm digressing. Back no, to the I think this I think that's a solid critique. Honestly, there's a lot of bi erasure and I yeah, it it leaves zero room for anything besides monogamy. Those are yeah. solid critiques, very present in the movie. Thank you. Uh, this movie is number five because it more out of nostalgia. Similarly to But I'm a Cheerleader, they like these two movies when I worked at my college's queer resource center were the most commonly rented movies. Uh, I feel like if you were a queer woman at Western Washington University, then you have seen Imagine Me and You or know someone who has. Uh, so I also feel like it was just a very iconic gay woman or queer woman movie in the 2000s also because um the what is the actress's name oh my gosh Piper Perabo uh, okay so yeah Piper Perabo I thought that was the character's name that's not Piper Perabo was really hot then um she'd done Coyote uh, Coyote Ugly I mean not like attractiveness but like in doing films like oh okay I thought you were like she has aged she poorly was, I was like, no 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 she's great I also love that like she takes breaks from films and TV and then like comes back and people are like within the writing have been like where have you been I feel like you kind of dropped off the the face of the planet and so it's like a running joke in some of the things that she's done and then there was lots of questions about whether or not she was some type of queer because she plays a queer woman in more than one thing but she was really big in the in the early 2000s i don't think i've seen a lot of her stuff this movie also stars lena Headey, who is famous from game of thrones she plays cersei so one of the highest paid actresses from game of thrones and i love that i can be like remember back when she was on imagine me and you i love that i love that trajectory for her okay i oh no, I have no idea who she is. I mean, but I also don't watch Game from... of Thrones. But you know her from this movie. Yes, but I would never recognize her. I would never be no. like, oh, where do I know her from? Matthew Good, who plays... Also, what kind of name is Heck? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was probably rude. But I remember watching this movie multiple times and not being convinced that his name was actually Heck. But it is. Overall, I felt like a solid, solid movie. Um, and because... It's a queer, like if it was not a queer movie, it wouldn't blip on my radar because it's just a regular yeah. old rom-com. But because it's queer and because yep. it came out when I was like really accessing my queerness, then I was like, imprint. Yeah, it also has Anthony Head in it, which if you were a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan is Giles. And so shout out to him as well. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> anyway, I feel like a lot of queer folks love Buffy. So just yes, as they throw should. That because because Willow, yeah, totally get it. And Willow is gay, right? Um, I honestly don't remember. Definitely queer. I yeah. She she dates men first, but I can't remember. I honestly can't. It's been a while since I've watched it. I can't remember if if she's lesbian or bi or or if they clearly give her an identity but definitely queer and she's played by allison hannigan yes who we love even if she can't sing in the musical episode (laughs) relatable brianna (laughs) you know what trip and die jesse okay what's your number four i love you too uh my number four is brokeback mountain (laughs) classic classic 2005 gay cowboy movie i love this movie it is tragic and sad, but again, the performances, the writing, I love this movie. It's one of my faves. I even love the the women in it, Michelle Williams, Anne Hathaway. I think their parts are amazing. Anne Hathaway's in this movie? Yeah, she plays Jake Gyllenhaal's wife. Yeah, clearly you've I seen, have it not seen it recently. <laughs> I have not seen it since it came out. Um, oh, wow. I feel like so. I revisit it now and again, but yeah. I know at the time that it was a big deal, and I think we've gone past it to the point where there's kind of a rejection of this movie at this point, but I'm still a really big fan. I love, you know, quite a few Ang Lee movies, not all of them. don't like his Hulk, but I don't know. This is a good one for me. Yeah, I could only watch it because I couldn't get past the violence that's inflicted on gay men and then the, like, demonstration of that violence to children and then, like, what happens? I just, I couldn't. I was like, oh, my God, this is so traumatic. Uh, but I do remember being, I really enjoyed the sex scenes. I got to say, to me, there's, it was really hot to watch a cowboy take another cowboy. And I was like, yes. Um, but I was also a horny teenager at that point. So a lot did it for me. Um, I think he I don't said think that's, a- I don't think that's exclusive to horny teenagers. <laughs> I get that. I get yeah. that. I If I remember, the sex scenes were pretty hot if not i vaguely recall a little rapey there was a lot of like forcing himself on him but he nope not gonna say that statement so it was i mean should there have been a consent discussion absolutely yes yeah yeah it's kind of depends on how you read it i think but i could definitely see that argument exactly and i mean we have two phenomenal actors like you were saying heath ledger and jake gyllenhaal did a phenomenal job. I think one of the actor deaths that hit me the hardest and I still think about today is Heath Ledger. Like, yep. just a phenomenal, phenomenal person. And Michelle Williams as well, who was his wife in real life. Yep. Totally agree. To me, this is just like a, it's like the epitome of <clears throat> tragic and beautiful. I have to close it because the silent trailer, he was smelling one of his shirts and I was like, nope, this is too oh, much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, my heart. We got to move on. I'm going to cry. Okay. okay. So pivoting. pivoting. Yep. What's your number four? It's a very similar movie. Um, It's single all the way. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> so similar. <laughs> Which came out last year. Um, And honestly, blew whatever Kristen Stewart movie happiest season out of the fucking water. Like, Agreed. Like, Agreed. This is what happiest season thought it was going to give us. And it gave mm-hmm. us trash. Yeah. Uh, absolute <laughs> us- shade. That movie yeah. was terrible. Agreed. Um, 
Single All the Way, though, is not. It's hysterical, and I can't wait to watch it again. Um, it's definitely a movie I would watch all year round. Desperate to avoid his family's judgment about his perpetual single status, Peter convinces his best friend Nick to join him for the holidays and pretend that they're now in a relationship. There's just so many things I love about this movie. It's very millennial. It's very relatable. I love Christmas Carol and how over the top she is with Christmas. I love just all... Uh, and then we have what's his face from bros, the super hot guy in there. And there's there's some good authentic conversation in there. And just everyone is so cute. And you're rooting for the protagonists. And I just, it is the Christmas movie I want without being as cheesy as a lot of Hallmark movies. Yeah, I mean, that isn't to say you can't see everything coming a mile away. However, Absolutely. it's still pretty cute. It's so cute. I yeah. am obsessed. I like I might watch it this weekend. It is good. And you're totally right. It's much better than Happiest Season. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. And my that, number three? That's really what sells it. Yes. Your number three. Okay. My number three is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This is actually a French film. Um, and it's streaming on Hulu, in case anybody wants to check it out. It's directed by Celine Siama, I think is her last name, who made Tomboy, which is another kind of queer film, and Petite Mama, which I have not seen, but, but I think was... Uh, Got some nominations a couple years ago. And this movie is another period piece, but it's shot so beautifully. The cinematography is amazing. The what they do with light and fire and and evoking some of this in the characters is just so beautiful. And we said this about Bound, but this movie is so not concerned with the male gaze at all. There's almost no men in the entire movie. And it's it's just a movie of desire. And it's beautiful, and yeah, so that's that's my number three. Because as a movie nerd, I'm just like, this is like I could drool watching it. It's so it's so beautiful. I mean, that sounds amazing, and I would really like to watch it. I I feel like I recognize the title, but also you reminded me of the movie Tomboy, and I really wanted to see that when it came out and never did, and so putting that on my list. Uh, but yeah. I think I'm always here for a beautiful, passionate movie that's not about the male gaze. Yeah. Still yes, it's this male gay. Okay. <laughs> Woof. What's your Woof. number three? <laughs> My number three is Bros, which is a comedy. Came out this year. And I just really, really loved that movie. While I feel like it definitely had shortcomings, uh, I am a sucker, again, for a good rom-com, and I thought that this leveled it up with some real conversation and some real dialogue about the insecurities that queer people can face um, and the things that they can bring with them into relationships due to the ways in which they've had to comport their lives while also being hysterical. I guffaw at this movie every single time, and I think it was phenomenal. So it just I it it's in my top three because I will watch it again and again and again and I don't think I'll get tired of it. I completely agree. And if you want to hear more about Bros, it was our very first episode, so go okay. check it out. Yeah, it's great. Rounding out the the top two. What's yeah. your top two? So my number two is Booksmart for a lot of the reasons that you just explained about Bros. Rewatchability. I could watch this movie like every month. It's so funny. I think the 
the friendship at the center of this movie is very relatable, very real. They, when the, one of them's like picking the other up, they have like a quick dance sesh with each other before they actually go to school. And it's just like, I feel like I've seen you and Casey do that before. Like, oh, I, yes. it's just so, or when they like aggressively, violently co- uh, compliment each other, like, ooh, we've all, I feel like it's just something you do with your friends, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, let's compete about like building each other up. And it's directed by Olivia Wilde. This was her directorial debut. I absolutely loved it. We watched an incredible amount of Super Bad in high school. Yeah, we and did. To me, yeah, not my fave. I know. But to Does me, not age well. No, I didn't really like it to begin with. Booksmart is like the way better version of Super Bad, and it's like fundamentals. It's not necessarily an original concept, right? It's that like last high school party movie, which exists in a couple different places already. But but this is the best way to do it, in my opinion. It's much funnier. It's much wittier. It's shot better. And there are certain artistic choices that I absolutely loved. Like there's kind of this climax where the, the two best friends fight at a party and it kind of zooms in on them slowly and it mutes all the things they're saying to each other, which I loved because when people are mad and angry, they say things that don't matter. And it was kind of the film being like, we just need to convey that like, this is now a fight and not necessarily all of like the mean things they're saying to each other or this lashing out. It's much more about the feelings than it is the words. So um, there's also a pool scene that was shot pretty beautifully. So yeah, book smarts, my number two, I could just watch it all the time really. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing it and being like, wow, that was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I do think it's interesting and you can correct me because I feel like that movie had queerness in it. One of the main characters was queer, but it was not about queerness. It didn't necessarily like center queerness. Whereas like all of the other movies that we're talking about have centered queerness much more, or it's been a much more like prevalent topic. Uh, So I think it's interesting that like it became your number two for our top, for our top 10 queer movies. Yeah, that's fair. To me, yes, the there are two leads, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dev- Deaver. Deaver, yeah. And Caitlin Deaver's character is queer and kind of navigating that. But I think because they talk about it so much, it's it's a theme. But you're right, it's not necessarily like the theme where it is in a lot of these other movies. So that's super fair. I think because none of the other high school last party movies that I've seen have had any queerness. I think that's why it made so much sense to me um, on this list because it still has that, but you're right. It is, it is almost a B plot versus a, a, the main plot. But I do think that's also really important in queer movies is that like, it can be a queer movie without it being about queerness because the people in it are still queer and everything they go through is still being gone through, through a queer lens Uh, And we are more complicated and complex than our sexualities. Yeah, it also felt like a more modern take where like, it wasn't a coming out. We don't need to do that. It's just trying to navigate what the hell is after that at this point, right? How do Mm -hmm. I figure out if other people are queer or how to talk about it with them? So what's your number two? My number two is what I would argue might be the most iconic queer movie of all time. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, which came out in 1975. It's classified, I classified it as a holiday comedy because it's almost exclusively really done up during the month of October and like Halloween time. You can see it year round, but like a lot of performances happen in the Halloween month. Uh, That's fair. 
A newly engaged couple have a breakdown in an isolated area and must seek shelter at the bizarre residence of Dr. Frankenfurter. Now, first, I just want to talk about how inaccurately that description encapsulates the the movie itself. Like it is. How, how would you very describe it? Bone. How would you describe it, Brianna? Sheer brilliance. <laughs> Cop out. Um, no, I know. I feel like it's not. It's not describable because there's so many things oh it's a weird ass movie probably like also why i can't say that i hate musicals because i love this movie and this is a fucking musical uh i have not ever performed in it but i have hosted it uh, at my at my college i hosted it two years in a row because i worked in the queer resource center and i love everything about the live performance i think this movie while great is not at its peak unless it is viewed with actors on stage and audience call and responses i think you miss a lot if you just watch it in your home so if you've never seen it mm-hmm. you need to fix that as soon as possible but don't do yourself a disservice and just watch it on tv Find a performance in your area and go and see it. Get dressed up. Really just immerse yourself. Bring some toast. Um, Bring some. (laughs) Google what you should bring (laughs) for the area that's showing it and do that. Um, I think it's a cult classic. Uh, Absolutely. It it bombed when it was Mm -hmm. first released. um, And then the gays found it and we made it our own. I don't know mm-hmm. why the gays ever didn't have it, but we got it and it's great. Um, and oh my gosh, I swear I am so bad with names. Tim Curry. What? Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, this is, while Tim Curry has many iconic roles, I think this is one of his most iconic. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just, I just can't say enough about this movie like meatloaf is in it mm-hmm. i quote it regularly uh well, anytime my wife is like my glasses immediately in my head i'm thinking my glasses my glasses i can't find my glasses i found this tampon but i can't find my glasses <laughs> which is not a line in the movie it is a call out that the audience does so it's just a gem and the fact that it came out in 1975 mm-hmm. and actively embraces like not only non-monogamy but multiple sexual partners um non-typical sex being had making essentially like a sex robot um and the epitome of masculinity it shows like i don't know how i would go about classifying dr frankenfurter's gender presentation or gender um identity but it shows transgression not transgression that's not the word i want to use um fluidness through those things and i love it ah and then the alien aspect of it and you just have these like two very modest human beings in the beginning and then by the end of it ah susan sarandon crushed the role i did not know how much i loved this movie until i remembered it for this podcast and i was like fuck yes i get to talk about this movie it's a gem I completely agree. I saw this movie when I was pretty young. And the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't, this is a weird movie. And I don't think I understand it. And then I watched it as an older teenager. And I was like, oh my gosh, this movie rocks. So yeah, it was a little bit of a journey for me. But I totally concur with the 
go see it in a theater or a performance or or both because yeah the energy that goes along with the crowd and the movie together is part of what makes it so special yes and the more you see it the more you'll like it because I remember I went and saw it for the first time with one of my best friends Sarah we got dressed up and there was just so much that I missed and by the end of it I was like that was interesting it was fun but then I had to like direct it and host it and I really got to know all the call responses I got to know like basically the movie in inside out and there's just so much to appreciate every single time and it's so funny yep agreed and I mean who doesn't want to do the time warp again you know let's do <laughs> the time warp again <laughs> The best singing award goes to anyone but Brianna. Okay, what's your number one? Uh, <laughs> or do you want me to go first? You go first, because yeah, yeah, you yes. Because you want to be the finale. Selfish. I mean, you can be the finale, but that's the order we've been doing. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. You're the worst. I know. I know. You're welcome. Okay, so my number one is Debs. This is a 2004 movie directed by Angelo Robinson, who also did Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, as well as Herbie Fully Loaded. So some some very, I know, very different movies. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would say all of them are kind of different. So this movie stars Jordana Brewster, Holland Taylor, as well as a bunch of others. Uh, I didn't write them all down here, but this is another spoof, I would say. And this is like a, this is like a lesbian spy action spoof that to me just like tickles me to the point where I can like cry from laughter from this there's all kinds of ridiculous scenes where like they pull out suction cups and like climb the building and what screams don't forget we're we're a very low budget film and then there's a nostalgia factor for me I watched this movie a year or two after it came out probably like 2005 2006 with some friends of mine and the first time I was like well I don't what a weird movie. I don't, I wasn't expecting that. Like, why did we watch this? And then as I got older and understood it more and also came into my own queer identity, I was like, oh, so this is actually a masterpiece and is commenting on this, this, and this. And this is why it's perfect. I also have a soft spot for Jordana Brewster. I think she's just a gorgeous person. So there's, there's just some scenes in the movie that are gold. Holland Taylor, who is a, is an older queer person, There's a scene where she is like appalled and disgusted when she finds out that one of her, her devs, which is like the spy organization, um, has been sleeping with a female villain that they've been chasing. And she's just like utterly disgusted and disappointed and, and besides herself. And just the meta-ness of that kills me. (laughs) Like To take one of the few queer people in the movie and have her be so disgusted by queerness. It's just, when you know these things, it's, it just feels like it's for you. So for, for all these reasons, this movie is very special to me. I, I try to rewatch it a lot. It's even on my top four in Letterboxd. So number one for Jesse is, is Debs all the way. Now, are we using Masterpiece? Okay. Ironically, okay. Okay. Like, yeah. Because I agree. I think it is a hysterical movie. And I had a similar experience that like the first time I watched it, I was like, I don't really get it. <laughs> but the more I watch it, I'm like, no, this is this is great because it's so bad. I think it's it's one of those How movies that dare you. It is not bad. Love. It is low it not, budget. It, it is low have budget. Any commentary on anything. It's oh my a, god, yes it no. does. We will no, watch it. We will watch it. All right, next episode will be Debs. What's your number one? No, no. 
I just don't know if I'd call it a masterpiece. I think it is a great queer movie that everyone should watch. But masterpiece, I think, should be reserved for films like my top one, which, ready, is Moonlight. See, this movie deserves a little flair. And as I've mentioned in almost every episode that we've done. No, no, not almost. In every episode that we've done. (laughs) Okay, whatever. Moonlight is just, I, I can't say enough about it. It is probably one of the only drama movies that I will repeatedly watch uh, and have seen probably four or five times at this point. I think the acting is out of this world, especially when you learn like the time frame that some of the roles were shot in. Uh, I think it gives space to narratives that are not seen in Hollywood often, especially on the main screen. Um, it's gut-wrenching. It's at times hopeful uh, that like things are going to work out. And then it's unfortunately very realistic. Um, it's got great music. It's got great shots. The people are attractive. Um, and I think it just, I think though the reason why, even with all of that aside, it gets my number one is because I feel like it is a story that has never been told yes. in Hollywood. And it's it was just, unique. it like, I don't identify with any of the identities in this movie. And when I saw it, it made my heart so happy for the people that get to see themselves on the screen, because I think that that is very, very important. And then on top of that, to have it go on and win the best film Oscar. Yes. Yeah. Biggest, one of the biggest controversies. Yep. Yeah, and just show up La La Land. Like, I'm sorry, but in comparison, I never saw La La Land. Okay, but then you can't compare. <laughs> Moonlight deserved it for the simple fact that, like, no movie like this exists, and no no story like that exists in the in the grand scheme of things. So it really is the movie that could, which is kind of also, uh, like a a feeling that the movie brings up, or at least brought up for me. The underdog. Uh, but I'm also, as I've said, really into therapy and really into the psychology of people, which is just psychology. So I didn't need to say psychology of people, but really into psychology. And yeah, I just, it spoke to me on so many levels. So I think that's why it is my my favorite queer movie of all time. Yeah, this is this is a phenomenal movie. I have my own feelings about how the storytelling is done in three parts so far apart I personally felt like there were things that happened that we missed and I would have liked to see however your point about it being a completely unique story we haven't seen before super true I I love that this movie exists I'm not sure I like it quite as much as you do I would agree that it is a masterpiece I think that's pretty undeniable again the performance is undeniable I love the trajectory that this movie went through and like it's nice little quiet opening all the way to Oscar best picture winner. That's like Oscar wise, the underdog story. Absolutely love that, especially when we consider the content of this movie. So yeah, I agree with you. Honestly, the third act is, is oof. It's so moving. It's so moving. Mm -hmm. The conversation he has with his mom and his 
how do we refer to him? Previous friends. I would say like high school love interest or like yeah. second act love interest. Yeah. And also friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The third act is is so incredible. Yeah. yeah. The, I, that alone, I think, <laughs> deserves all the awards. Yeah. I, until you were talking about Booksmart, I didn't really realize this as like a tool, but I also love that they do the same thing when the fight is happening. Like when his mom in the first scene or first part in his childhood is yelling at him. They don't use what she's saying. They just put her at one end of the hall mm-hmm. screaming at him and it's silent. And then there's just this tiny little boy standing at the other end. And we see it from like his perspective. And it's like scenes like that, that are really powerful that convey so much emotion without having to hear the words that are being said. And like everyone did a phenomenal job of acting. There was not an unlike believable or weak link in the cast. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and Mahershala Ali actually went on to win uh, best performance by an actor in supporting mm-hmm. role for this movie, which super deserved. And I think started Mahershala Ali's incredible trajectory that we've seen since this movie as well as barry jenkins um you know he didn't win director i don't think he got nominated for director for this which is a shame but he won screenplay and that has started kind of his career of making a bunch of great movies centering black folks like beale street could talk and and things like that so yeah i i don't feel as strongly as you do about this movie but the fact that it exists is like amazing and i i love what it's done for for cinema honestly this movie is iconic in its own way yeah, and I also feel like uh, really challenges our conce- our conceptions of who is beneficial in a child's life. Because again, this took place in like uh, a poorer neighborhood and I'm blanking on all, can you say the actor's name again? Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali being a drug dealer, but being that father figure that like protector that safe space when we automatically assume that all of those identities he holds are in strict conflict with queerness and with safeness oh my god I just I did an entire event on it at the at the college that I worked on I brought in professors to discuss all of the themes in it and I I'm just I'm just obsessed with the movie so one question about your list Okay. Do you think your list suffers from any recency bias? Like we kind of touched on this, but I I want to just see what you thought. No, because I have a lot of movies from the past. I would say it suffers from bookends in my life. Like there's not a lot between like in the middle of like my college queerness mm-hmm. and queer media now now being within the past like six years but that's because I feel like I don't know maybe I wasn't really searching for queer films or queer movies because I was very busy and was living a lot like doing a lot of things that were identity focused so I didn't necessarily feel like I wasn't getting exposure to that Mm -hmm. um but I think the movies that are the most recent so bros and single all the way are on there because their comedic gems and filled a hole that I felt like was missing in like categories of films that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. 
But what about you? I think there's a little bit of recency bias on mine, although I think the most recent thing I have is 2020, so nothing from the last year or two. I think there's like rewatchability bias going on in mine. I think that the reason that the docs are a little lower is because they don't have the rewatchability. And I think Debs and Booksmart are one and two because how rewatchable they are, because they're easier to digest comedies than, say, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Brokeback Mountain. Those are more downer films, much more intense. So I think the genre of it all and the rewatchability kind of formed my list a little bit. Obviously, mine's not quite as comedy heavy as yours, but those did kind of still rise to the top because they're just a little more comfortable. Yeah, and I mean, I definitely think my list falls prey to the bias of what I seek out in my films and my shows, which just oftentimes is more things that will bring me pleasure and enjoyment rather than bring up a lot of like deep feelings or, or questioning, I tend to save that for like my academic reading or events that I do or like conversations that I have with my friends. And I find movies and film to be more of a reprieve for me. I like to be really entertained. And so I think that's why I don't know. Well, yes, a couple movies like really make you think that are on my list, but most of them are for sheer entertainment. But I do enjoy like the films that you've been having me watch. I have really, really enjoyed. And I would not classify many of the films that we saw while you were visiting me as comedies. They were all thinkers, that's for sure. That's true. Yeah. Well, for what it's worth, it's Oscar season. So you can talk to the Academy. I think I did realize one thing about my list as I was making it is that I hold dramas to a slightly higher standard than I do comedies. To me, I think there's something about making a drama that it's slightly easier for me to look at it as like art to critique versus a comedy that I already know is going to follow this structure. So that's more of like a me thing, but I think I, I give comedies a little bit more of a pass, maybe because they're making me laugh or maybe because to me, they're, it's already a given. It's inherent that they're going to follow a certain format, if you will. And dramas, I feel like don't like that was honestly something that I kept thinking while watching Moonlight. It's like, boy, you just threw that format right out the window, didn't you, Barry Jenkins? Which is like for better and worse, I think. Um, some people love that. I have mixed feelings personally. But yeah, something I noticed, it's, it's easier to be more critical on the dramas, I think, because I think inherently, at least in my head, they're typically doing a little more work. Not always, but a lot of times so you're an art snob is what you're saying <laughs> that you don't think the comedies are real art is that, that what i said a lot of in-depth talent so the bar you have for them are like well you're gonna make me laugh and so that's the end all be all of comedy and that dramas are more complex and can easily be more critiqued by the highbrow people of society you're rude and snobbish Okay, well, I'm really glad you were listening so well. That is exactly what I said. So perfect. Anything else you want to add before we wrap this up on that positive note for me? <laughs> um, I am glad we did this because now I have a list of other movies that I want to watch. And I feel like as we keep going, it's going to become more and more difficult or increasingly difficult to determine what movies and TV shows we're going to be watching just because... There is so much content to be consumed. Yes. Oh, yeah. We are in a point in the world where it is a content overload, no matter who you are. And even if you only have one streaming service, 
it's yeah there's so much to watch no one can watch everything i also it did not get lost on me that neither of us had any queer foreign films nor queer horror films uh, portrait of a lady on fire is a french film oh okay i didn't know that yeah um but at least no horror and i think that that speaks to the fact that i don't you, you don't, don't like think horror uh hold on we'll come back to that you okay. don't think rocky horror picture show is in is of itself. horror i there are a lot of horror things going on in that movie oh no like the no. lighting how it's shot very horror in certain aspects it doesn't no. have the suspense it doesn't there's nothing no when i think of like okay. horror no that's not it's not nightmare on elm street it's not the jason one it's not like things that give you nightmares it is i would say maybe then it's more Boy, that's a really of, oversimplification of horror it's kind me. of like your oversimplification of comedy no um, i just so have I would a different say standard it's more of a spoof how dare you on horror, like, but I'm a cheerleader is a spoof on conversion camps. Okay. However, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is going to be beneficial. Like, I want to push back at you, but we'll just go with noted. <laughs> Duly noted. Duly noted. Are there any queer horror films that should have been on here? Or that, like, I even enjoy? I, we, I mean, we talked about doing they slash them. Um, I've never seen that though. Neither have I, and I got terrible reviews. But yeah. like, I also don't necessarily just mean horror, but I mean like things like the serial killer movie that everyone hates. Nope, the trans. Uh, woman. Oh, Silence of the Lambs. Thank you. Like things like that. Like we did not mm. really get into those types of movies because i don't feel like those are movies that you and i gravitate towards a lot but maybe I'm, do you like horror films so i like the new what is it called i guess they're calling it prestige horror so like all the jordan peele movies ari aster mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. i i've seen a lot of those uh, and i really like those i like horror movies that have a wider scope and are trying to say something i'm not into slashers or i like a good thriller right for the suspense of it all but i'm probably just gonna leave it where i saw it and not think about it a lot more i really like the ones that make me think that have a lot to chew on a lot to dissect a lot to parse out which is why jordan peele is one of my favorite directors Mm -hmm. and i love nope wasn't my favorite but i love get out and us so i like the ones that yeah have are trying to do something more interesting. Okay, that makes so, sense. I get that, because I would also describe myself as definitely enjoying those types of movies as well, and hardcore avoiding anything that their main purpose is to terrify me. Okay, well, I think you should buckle up and get used to ranked lists, because I'm quite into them, so... <laughs> and I think maybe we could even embrace the deconstructing of the ranking and have conversations about multiple movies simultaneously. And on that note, thank you for joining us today on Queer Watching. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at queer underscore watching. And if you want to send us an email with recommendations or feedback, you can at queerwatching at gmail.com. Again, that's queerwatching at gmail.com.